Philippians. We've been working through the book of Philippians. Uh, one of my desires uh, at First Christian Church is to be a very distinctly obvious, unarguable Bible church that um, we have an authoritative word from God. And it's what should take a prominence in our services when we gather together. We don't gather to hear Darren's uh, big ideas. It'd be a much shorter meeting. I mean, but uh, we don't come to hear Darren's thoughts. We, we gather to hear what God thinks. And so what we've done for this summer is we've just worked through in eight weeks, as I predicted, which I uh, can't believe I pulled it off. Eight weeks through the whole book of Philippians. This is Paul's epistle writing to the church at Philippi. It is one of the prison epistles. Um, Paul wrote other letters uh, while he was in prison, but Philippians is one of them. That's an important context to remember as you read this book of where Paul is. I don't usually get that much introduction. Let's let the text speak. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, the end of the book. Starting in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grass withers, the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. So congratulations, we've made it. If you've been here the past eight weeks, we have read through together all of the book of Philippians and are now finishing up this last section. We are going to finish up the epistle of the, of the Philippian church, Paul to the church at Philippi. The big idea, I'm just going to throw it out this morning because there are so many things we could pick up as has been the reality throughout uh, these eight weeks. There are many things we could have dug into a lot deeper, but just... And, and for sake of a summer series moving along, had to skip. There are many things we could get into this morning. But the main idea that we're going to focus on this morning is that the Christian rejoices because they are content that God always meets the needs of his people. 
the Christian rejoices because they are content that God always meets the needs of his people. Now, that can sound like kind of a, oh, this is going to be, if you're listening to that, that might be an interesting statement. Are we turning into a TBN here this morning that is somehow going to say, God will give you everything you want if you just go to, if you just uh, do the right thing, God will give you everything you want. Listen again. The Christian rejoices because they are content that God always meets the needs of his people. So at the end of this letter, the Philippians to the Philippian church, Paul is addressing his thanksgiving towards them. It's pretty easy to discern what has happened. The Philippian church at some point has decided that they're going to take up an offering and send it off to Paul as he's in Rome in, in prison writing these letters. They send it with Epaphroditus. His name is mentioned here at the end, and we've heard of Epaphroditus earlier in chapter 2 when he mentions Epaphroditus is going back to them at some point, and then Timothy as well later, and Paul himself hopes to come and visit the, the church at Philippi. So the Epaphroditus has brought money to Paul to help support him there while he's in jail. It's, um, and this is what they, they've revived their concern for him. Um, Philippians 2.10 mentions this, this um, that's not right at all. This is what he means when he's in one ten when he talks about that they have, that's not it either. I don't know why I have this reference in there. <laughs> that never happens to me. But, uh, okay, so they, they've been oh, in 4.10. Good night. Right here, right in front of me. For 4.10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. I'll get on track here at some point. They've revived this concern for the, him. Philippi is right when uh, in the book of Acts chapter 16, you can read the Macedonian call. And Paul is in Asia Minor and he wants to go down towards Ephesus. But he has a vision of this Macedonian and he says, come over here and help us. And so they cross over and they go to what is now modern day Greece. The, the Christianity finally enters kind of the Western world. They go over and they enter into Philippi. And there's a conversion of, of um, Lydia and a demon-possessed girl and a jailer in Philippi. A church begins and then they chase him out. And he goes down to Thessalonica, which is the, church, the, the town of the letter we read earlier, the letter to the Thessalonians. And in the Philip, Philippi, Philippian church sends money to Paul and, and they're supportive. They are encouragers. They are supporting his work in his ministry. Philippi is a very prosperous town, um, very well off people in the church. And so they are sending resources down to support him, but they've revived this concern for him. It may have been 10 years or so, maybe more since the planting of the church at Philippi. And, and here they are, they send this aid through Epaphroditus. So he's, what is the, the need for us to see? Is this just some sort of conclusion of, you know, thanks for doing that. And, um, you know, is there, is there really any meat to the conclusion of this letter? Is, is Paul communicating anything of value in this conclusion? Or are they just kind of wasted words? So, you know, hey, thanks for the money. I mean, and who wouldn't say if someone is randomly, you know, it's been 10 years since you got a, a, a gift from them and all of a sudden they revive their concern and they send you money, you'd probably say thanks. Is, what is 
Paul doing here at the end of this book? And I think you can read this in two completely different ways. Either Paul is, is just giving his thanks to them for their support and then telling them how God will honor them for it. Or he is wrapping up a culmination of all that he said up to this point in this last section. How would you wrap up the book of Philippians? As, we've, as you've been here week after week and, and listened through it, how would you wrap up this book? We've seen Paul rejoicing in the church's acceptance of the gospel. He's rejoicing that they've partnered with him in the gospel from the first day until now. And then we have that Philippians 1, 6 verse. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's encouraged in their unity around the gospel, that they are suffering for the sake of Christ, not just saved by him, but suffering for his sake. He gives them this example of humility and unity seen in Christ. We have the Carmen Christi, right, where... Jesus does not account equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he empties himself, making himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, suffering unto death, even death on a cross. They, there's all of this. And then he heads on into chapter 3, all this humility, unity, love for the gospel, goes into chapter 3, speaking about this great joy he has, not in all of his human accolades, but he counts them all as loss, in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in Him. So you take all of that, how do you culminate that? How do you sum all that up? And I, I, I think he's working here to sum all this up in this word we have at the end of verse 11. Contentment. Content. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You can feel the balance that Paul is trying to walk through here. I mean, he's got a tough, it's a tough thing to try to get across because Paul has just been provided well for by this church. I mean, you get a big gift, you should say thanks. And so he's just been well provided for. Verses 10 you know, that they've revived this concern for him. And then, and then verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. You, your Philippians, know the beginning of the gospel. I had no church in partnership with me in giving, receiving, except you. That this church is, has provided for his physical needs. And he is grateful. And so he's trying to balance, I'm grateful that you provided for me. I am well provided for. But sandwiched in the middle of these bursts of gratitude is this declaration of contentment regardless of whatever circumstances come his way. Why does Paul say that? Do you get the contrast of he's just got this big gift, he's saying thanks for it, but in the middle of these two thanksgivings that he's saying, he reminds them in the middle, whatever circumstance I've been in, I'm content. I'm grateful for your gift, but don't forget that whatever situation I've been in, I have learned how to be content. Sandwiched in the middle of these thanksgivings, he doesn't want them to forget the meat of what he's been saying. It's a sandwich. So the meat, the bologna, maybe it's, like, it's better than bologna. It's a, it's a good sandwich. You know, the meat of what's in between these sandwiches is that no matter what circumstances he's been in, he's content. Something is going on that has left Paul content. 
Paul doesn't want them to think to think that the only grounds for gratitude are when things go well for you in the circumstances of your life. The reason why he, he sandwiches in the middle here this idea of being content no matter what is that Paul doesn't want them to think that the only grounds for gratitude are when things go well for you in the circumstances of your life. Because they've gone well in this gift, right? I mean, he's in jail. I don't want to forget that part. But he's, got, he's been well provided for. But he doesn't want them to think the only time you're grateful and content is when things go well. Philippians 4.13 is a popular verse, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My grandma has told me, she's sitting here, she's told me before that's maybe her favorite, one of her favorite verses, maybe, I'm pretty sure she's told me that. <laughs> maybe I'm accusing her of things she's not guilty of. But Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it is a beautiful, wonderful, powerful verse. But it's a, it's a favorite of athletes and those getting ready to undertake ambitious tax, tasks. But what does this text really mean? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What is Paul's use of that statement within the context of this letter? Is he saying, as sometimes it's understood, Jesus is going to help me win? Jesus is going to help me survive. Jesus is going to help me uh, rise above. Like lots of times it's, it's put on things that as, as this idea of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Therefore, I will succeed. Is that what Paul is saying though in Philippians chapter 4? <clears throat> Just think. Philippians 1.20, he's talking about for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He does, he's in jail. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive for sure or die. And yet he says at the end of the letter, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says that he's convinced that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul is clearly saying in this passage is that in Christ... He has been given the strength to face whatever circumstances come his way. In verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Both ends of the spectrum. Things going wonderful, having everything go the way that you want. The Philippian church giving you a big gift. The Philippian church forgetting about you for 10 years and, 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 and struggling. In all of these things, he faces both ends of the spectrum, knowing the strength of Christ that will sustain him. So in a very real way, Philippians 4.13 does apply to the big event on your horizon. If you're a high schooler and you're, in, and you're attending, you're, you're involved in sports, you can, you can quote, there's a big test ahead of you. You can quote Philippians 4.13. But by quoting it, you need to be meaning something very specific. You're not saying, by Christ's strength, I'm going to win this game. Or by Christ's strength, I'm going to ace this test. You're saying that whether I blow out the competition or they run me over, I can do either one of those things and, 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 and will be able to get through both of them through the strengthening that Christ is giving me. I can do all things. I can blow out the other team or get run over. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can ace this test or I can totally flunk it 
And I am confident in what I have in Christ. I am confident in the strength of Christ that I can do this. I can make it through whatever circumstance comes my way. For the adult who's looking on the horizon of a business venture or something like that, and, and they say, you know, I can, I can start this new project because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They can say that. If by that they mean this business can thrive and go well and, get, and, and reap great rewards for me, or it can totally flop in a few years and fail and leave me destitute, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is, the, this is what the accurate quoting of Philippians 4.13. I will be okay because Christ strengthens me whatever comes my way. Can I get serious for a moment? I bring it up because none of us know what's headed our way, really. You think you do. We think we do. We behave as though we do. But really... We don't know what's around the corner for us. You have no idea what's coming your way. My desire, and I think God's really, through Paul in this letter, is to plant in you, in us, something so big, so sound, so secure, that whatever we do face in this life or in our future, we will be able to honestly say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And mean by that what Paul is truly saying. The most grounding reality in, in Darla and I's life when we got the news of a serious cancer diagnosis is at one level Philippians 4.13. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And what we meant by that was not that we can kick cancer in the butt and win, and, and we can do this because Christ strengthens us. What we meant was, this can go well for us, we can be brought health, or we can be brought very, very low, and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. When Jana was in the hospital and we're waiting on her to get her open heart surgery at two or three months old, um, that's a long time to sit there and wait as she comes over this cold. You don't know what's going to happen. And Philippians 4.13 was a grounding truth there. But by that, we did not mean this is guaranteed for everything to go well for us. What we mean is we can have a wonderful outcome or we can be broken in a horrible way the rest of our lives from this event. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And God had mercy on us. And we're thankful for it. God has had mercy. Darla has health. Jana is here. We are grateful. But it isn't always guaranteed to go that way. And you all know it. You've lived life. You know people who it hasn't gone that way for. It's not guaranteed to go that way forever. Not for us and not for you. So then how can we ground ourselves in something, in this truth, so that we are not swamped when life does overtake us? And Paul tips us off. To what grounds him with this word, he is content. Paul had something so great, so glorious, so secure, and so life-giving that in having it, if he lost all else, he was content. I have learned in whatever situation I am, verse 11, to be content. But, you know, we ask. <laughs> Paul was just getting money randomly sent to him. 
I'd be content if I just occasionally run to the mailbox and every, every, as I carry mail, everyone comes around and says, you got a big check for me today? And they've convinced me I should be looking for big checks in the mail or something like this happens to people that everyone's asking, you got a big check for me? Well, I don't, but I think, are we supposed to be looking for this? That would be, we think, well, boy, I'd be content if that just randomly happened to me. But that's not the full testimony of the life of Paul, right? He's in jail here, but flip with me if you have your Bible open, just back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's in his discussion with the super apostles, and he means that sarcastically. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 30, Paul gives a little testimony about his life, the the grandness and the romantic uh, life he's living. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ, the super apostles? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. Here he goes into his description of his life. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There is a man who says, I have learned the secret of contentment. Read that. Content? What does he know? What does he know that he is able to be content? All of these crushing events in his life. And Paul has learned to be content. How? Because of all that he has discussed up to this point. This is what Philippians has been leading to. All of these things going on in his life. And he's learned how to be content. Look back in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Just right there in Philippians. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. It's a big word there. Everything is loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is content Confident, he says in verse 418, chapter 4, verse 18, he's confident that God will supply his every need in Christ Jesus and the Philippian church's every need in Christ Jesus. And the language there is a bit cumbersome. 418, I've received full payment and more and well supplied. And my God, verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's a little cumbersome there, but he's just saying, Every need you have, God will meet. Every need you have, God will meet. But notice what it is uh, Paul is saying will be provided. Everything they need, okay? Need. Which means we have to concede 
that not everything we want is everything we need. Not everything we want is everything we need. Paul is convinced that God will make sure everyone who is his child will lack nothing they need. And what we tend to do is we think that means God will give us everything we want. But that's not what Paul says. Everything that we need. Part of Paul's contentment is his understanding of his greatest need. Most of our discontentment comes from our ignorance of our greatest need and only seeing our biggest wants. Life is full of seeing all of our wants and being totally ignorant of our great needs. What are your great needs? What are they? If you had to list them out, well, what, what do you need? Clothing. Shelter, food, water, friendships, money, health, all of these things. What would you classify as your greatest need? But answering in only those ways is to totally miss the big picture. All of those things remind us of the Second Corinthians 4 passage we looked at a few weeks ago. To consider that it's to have your eyes set on the things that are visible, which are transient, t- temporal, Instead of having your eyes seen on what is invisible, which is the unseen realm, which is eternal. To consider those things as your greatest need is to have your eyes set on visible things, not the invisible things, which are eternal. What is the state of your eternal soul before a holy and righteous God? That's an ultimate question. What is the state of your soul before a holy and righteous God. And when we ask a question about needs, what do you need? Needing to be in right standing with him better be pretty high on your list. I'd say top of the list. Where do you stand with a holy and righteous God? This life is not all there is. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it's appointed for man once to die, then comes the judgment. Briefly, I, I heard an interesting story this week. It was out of the Washington Post. Um, and they, we are deporting or have deported a 95-year-old man out of America. He was living in Queens. We have deported him into Germany. He's gone straight into a nursing home. He's 95 years old. He's been denied his citizenship uh, a few years ago. But he's, he's, he's confessed uh, about 10 years ago to being a member of the SS. Uh, in, in, in Nazi Germany. And he was actually at a camp, uh, a concentration camp, where 6,000 Jews were killed the year that he was working there. He's confessed to these things. So they've, they've sent him back. It's kind of tough to figure out where to try him at because Poland and Ukraine and what's Germany at that point and everything. It's been so long ago. But they're, they're sending him back. And there's a, there's a group that is working hard to bring justice to all of these work criminals. And they've got a list. Everyone on the list at this point is over 90 years old just because of the nature of World War II and being old enough to be in the army at this time. And so they're, but they're pursuing war crimes. And there's this line in the article that reads this. More than 70 years on, there is little time to be lost. Listen to this. It could be the last chance for Nazi criminals to face justice for crimes that continue to represent the worst of mankind. That's not true. That's not true. From a Christian perspective, it's, it's right to seek justice in this world. But if someone misses all the authorities, the authority gets away with all the crimes they committed, and no one in this life ever brings them justice, 
That is not missing out on justice. They may live all their days out in great peace and prosperity, but they will face a final judge. That's good news. We want justice. We are hardwired to want justice. Problem is this. There is justice coming. There is a judgment coming. This is ultimate reality. This not, no matter if how, how well these people lived, if they have not repented of their sins, of the murder of innocent people, if they are repented and they face the judgment, they will be judged. It will not go well for them. They will not escape justice. They will not escape judgment. The problem is this. Everyone who has opened their eyes, has their eyes open to their own sinfulness, knows you won't escape judgment either. Knows that you are not without blemish. Knows that you are not without spot. Knows that you are not someone who's never rebelled, always done perfectly. The letter in Colossians that the adult Sunday school class was reading that to, to put to death, therefore, all of these things. And then it was anger, rage, malice, and obscene language from your lips. Ever said an obscene statement? God has forbid you to do so. There's justice and judgment for these things. His justice demands he punish. And hell is the final prison. So, talking about needs, where do you stand with this holy and righteous God who demands perfect righteousness? And we look around at ourselves and inside of ourselves and we know, I'm in trouble. What is your greatest need? If only there was some way, some way to be forgiven of our sin and made righteous in God's sight. If only there was some way. And this is where contentment in the mind of Paul comes in. There is a way. God has made a way. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ. Live the righteous life you and I should have lived. Died the death we all deserve on the cross. So that through repentance and faith, looking to him, trusting in Christ and his righteousness, we would be what? Forgiven of our sin. Reconciled to God. Made right in his sight. Set at peace with this God we have always been at war with. Never again to be forsaken. Never to be left out on anything you truly need truly need to be glad in him forever. Do you know this contentment? This is the contentment Paul is laboring for and is grounded upon that whether I abound or am brought low, whether I am full and well-fed or whether I am hungry, and I can know in every situation how to be content because I know my greatest need has been fulfilled. That this judgment I had come in my way is now taken off my back and laid upon another. So that when this life is over, I go into eternal life. I am granted, I am brought into full fellowship with God my Savior through the work of another. And I am content in that reality. That, and so content, no highs, no lows in this life can tarnish that grand reality that I am known by Christ and that I know him and have his righteousness. Do you know this contentment? You can. You can. I long for us all in this fellowship to know this deep in our bones, the reality of what we have in Christ, to know the sure foundation that empowers us to say, whether I abound or am brought low, whether I am hungry or well fed, I can do all things because I am strengthened in the knowledge of having Christ. 
in him, my greatest needs are met. And I have no fear that every other need necessary for me to enjoy him and glorify him forever will be given to me as well. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this would ground each one of us in this fellowship, the truth, the glorious reality of what we have in Christ. Father, we are far too familiar with the difficulties of this life. We are desperate for a contentment that cannot be taken away. A joy that is not in the things that are visible, which are transient and passing away, but a joy in what is unseen, in the solving of our greatest need, the giving of your Son for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be reconciled to you, God. May every ear in this place this morning hear that message and respond with joy and gladness in the salvation offered through your Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.